Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around the Word of God. We thank you for the many times that have passed over our head that we have worshipped you and praised you in this pulpit and in these altars and in these chairs. And we've given our hearts and our minds to you and your Word. We know that the fountain of life is found in your Word, the Lord Jesus. And I ask you today, O oh God, as we consecrate these next few moments in your presence, that you would speak to our hearts and let the church hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You know, there is an ordinance in Washington, D.C. that no building can be built any taller than the Washington Monument. I don't know if you knew that, but boy, that's quite an ordinance, isn't it? Did you know that on top of the Washington Monument, there is a plate that is there, and there are some words that are written on that plate. It says, to God be the glory. So this nation has, you know, at its roots and its uh, foundation points and a dependence upon God. All their speeches that you can read about the founding fathers all talk about God and his providence and talk about how that people left uh, England and different places in Europe and braved a trip across the Atlantic uh, Ocean to get to this country. And it wasn't so much to uh, be political about it. It was to find religious freedom. They were wanting to find a place where they could worship God as they wanted to and as they desired to. Amen. And all of these uh, things that we hear today about our, our country and why it was founded, it was founded because people wanted to love and serve and worship God. Amen. And we need to understand that there are, are many uh, scriptures that admonish us concerning our relationship to God as a nation. I quoted one earlier, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Amen. The Bible said, And the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. So the greatest business of the church is to keep God at the forefront of things in our nation. To make sure that our nation doesn't forget that our dependence is upon God. If you've ever been to Philadelphia and been to the museum there and been to the Congress, the hall there, you've seen the Liberty Bell. Did you know there's a scripture that is placed on the Liberty Bell? I don't know if you ever knew that or not. And it's Leviticus chapter 25 and, and verse 10. And there, these words are, are very famous. And, uh, well, they go this way. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. In other words, every 50 years in Israel, all debts were canceled, all bills were paid, all arguments were settled. Everything was brought to a place of peace, and it was called Jubilee. Well, we know that Jubilee was all those things, and it 
was culminated in the person of the Lord Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he was called the Prince of Prince of Peace. And that means that he was the, the Jubilee, he was the, the Savior, that all debts were canceled in the Lord Jesus. That all, in Jesus, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. In Jesus, there is no debt that cannot be paid. In Jesus, there is perfect peace that is found in his loving, loving caress. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is our, our jubilee. He is our cancellation of the sin debt. In Galatians chapter 2, we read some things that are very similar to a speech that was made in the house of Burgesses in Virginia. And uh, it was uh, made by some representatives there from 13 colonies that had gathered together to talk about what are we going to do? How are we going to see a way out? We've got a ragtag army that is not trained. In fact, they're not even an army, they're a militia. And in New York Harbor, they're sitting a English Armada, the strongest navy in the world, and we don't even have a navy. They are trained in the greatest uh, skills of warfare. They know everything about military science, and they know everything about uh, the technology that is available. We have no technology now, have any guns to speak of except some black powder ammunition. How in the world could we stand against such a mighty foe as England? How in the world could we stand up under a threat that we're going to come and force, forcibly press our will upon you? You will pay taxes. You will do what we say you will do. What is it about the huddled masses that yearn to be free that's in the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor? America is made up of people who in their hearts they yearn to be free. And America is made up of people that will fight for their independence. It's made up of people that are determined that they are going to live free. Those famous words that were written and said and spoken by a man named Patrick Henry. And he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And for the support of that declaration with a firm reliance, get that, with a firm reliance upon the protection of a divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honor. Patrick Henry said, our, our brethren are already in the field. Already the sound of resounding arms are ringing in our ears. Why sit we here idle? And in that famous quote, I know not what others may take, road may take or others may feel, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Wow. Where do you reckon he got such a motivation to speak such stern words? 
Well, it seems to me that there was a man whose name was Joshua one time, and it's a very famous story. And he'd come to the end of his career. He'd come to the end of leading in battle. He'd come to the end in addressing and sharing wisdom with the nation Israel. And he was ready to give his final speech. And at the end of addressing to them about the gods of Arpad and the gods on the other side, he said to them, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sounds like a Patrick Henry, doesn't it? Sounds like a man whose mind is made up that he's going to serve the Lord. And I, I just assume that's where Patrick Henry got that kind of backbone that he'd stand up while others were saying, let's just see if we can't arbitrate it, see if we can't just negotiate. Let's see if we can't just all get along. Why can't we just all get along? There comes a time when somebody has to stand up and say, that's wrong and this is right. There comes a time when negotiation won't work anymore. There comes a time when words and carrying on with endless dialogue just won't get it done anymore. Somebody has to take a stand. And somebody has to be a, a leader. And somebody has to be convicted that they know what God would have us to do. The Bible says that in the times of Issachar, there were certain men, the Bible said, who knew what Israel must do. Wow. They knew the times. Is that the way it reads, Don? They knew the times, and they knew what Israel must do. Boy, how in the world does America expect to survive without some tribes of Issachar, some men that watch the times and are willing to stand in the pulpit and tell Israel what you must do and tell America what we must do, what the whole world must do. And I want to tell you, as a student of the Word of God, this nation is headed for catastrophe. If we don't get off the road that we're on, we're headed for disaster and catastrophe. And every statement that's made in Congress, we don't care what the Word of God says. We don't care about what churches believe. We don't care anything about religion. We don't want to hear about religion. Brother, I'm, I'm just trying, I cringe and say, how can you say something like that in the ears of God who hears all things and before the eyes of God who sees all things, knowing that you wouldn't be here without Him, and then to slap him in the face by saying, we don't want to hear your preachers. We don't want to hear your word quoted. We don't want to hear stories about how you help people. We don't want to hear that. That's irrelevant and we don't want to hear. That's the language of senators and legislators in this country right now. And if somebody doesn't stand in a pulpit like this one, and say, that's wrong, and that will lead our nation to hell. And say to that, this nation, you need to repent. Repent, 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 and hear ye the word of the Lord. Well, there was that same kind of tyranny, that same kind of religious uh, authority that was being exercised upon new Christian churches. 
And there was a group that's called Judaizers. And their problem was they could not accept the fact that God would simply save you by grace through faith. That there had to be more to it than that. That Moses' law and the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, you must obey the Ten Commandments. If you don't obey the Ten Commandments, then you can't have righteousness and right standing and justification with God. In other words, they felt like works righteousness was the way to be justified in the eyes of God. They couldn't believe that a simple message about trusting what Jesus did at Calvary's cross and the blood that was shed was sufficient for the cleansing of the sin in your life. That just seemed too simplistic to them. Too little. Not enough. It's got to be more. There's got to be more. Got to be more ritual. Got to be more ceremonies. Got to be more circumcision. Got to be more laws, more ordinances. 365 of them on your prayer shawl. You need to have some more. And these Judaizers would follow Paul around. And everywhere he'd go and start a church, it wouldn't be long till the Judaizers would show up. And they would try to subvert and circumvent everything that Paul had preached. When he started a church and founded a church on right and right doing behind his going on to another place to plant a church, in would come the Judaizers and say, don't believe Paul. Don't believe that. you got to listen to the law of Moses if you want to be justified in God's sight. And all of the preachers in Galatia and all the preachers in Asia Minor said, why can't we just get along? Why can't we just all be friends? You know, every religion's got some things that are right about it. I don't know why we can't just uh, concentrate on the things we agree on and not ever mention these things that we disagree on. Let's just see if we can't just have peace and just all get along. Paul said, I'm not interested in getting along. I'm interested in doing right. I'm interested in preaching right. I'm interested in living right. I'm interested in going to heaven in the right way. I'm interested in believing the Word of God. I'm interested in letting the Spirit of God convict the souls of men. I'm willing to stand in the pulpit and preach the truth as it pertains to who Jesus is and what He did and how we can benefit by... Hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Listen to what Galatians 2 and 15 says. Paul, this is Paul's now response to the Judaizers. Listen to what he says. We ourselves who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. In other words, I was raised up a Jew. I know exactly what you're talking about. Don't act like I don't know who, who you're talking about. You know, one of the greatest insults the devil can do is act like you're a dummy and stupid and don't know what he's talking about. He just assumes you don't know and he's got the wool pulled over your eyes. 
Yeah, Paul said, let's just lay that to rest already. I was raised up in Jewish and Judaism. I know all about the law, know everybody. In fact, I wasn't just a participant. I was an enforcer. I was the one that persecuted the church. I was the one that wasted the church. I was the one that led the charge. I would secure the warrants. I would arrest them. I would bring them to prison. I would have their backs beaten to a bloody pulp. So don't talk to me about religiosity and Judaism. I know all about it. I, I, I was a Jewish sinner. Listen to it. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet who know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you got that up there? I want to make sure it's there. Read it on that first line up there. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. What's that, Pastor? It's telling it like it is. You know, a lot of folks like for you to tell it like it is, but they're usually the one doing the talking. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. What is that, brother? That's as plainly as you can speak it. That's no hobnobbing around. That's no dancing around the issue. That is, this is the way it is. We're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. In order to be justified by faith, not by works, by the law, no, nobody will be just. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we ourselves found to be sinners, is Christ then an agent of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again those things that I tore down, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, he's saying... If the Lord saved me from a life of debauchery, if the Lord brought me out of the filth and the slush and the slime of sin, and I put on my shawl and I pray my prayers and I do all my things and I, I fool around and get cold and indifferent and I go back to the beggarly elements that God saved me from, and I begin to do the things I used to do and be the person I used to be before the Lord found me? Then listen to what he says. If I do that, I prove myself a transgressor. 
I have broken God's moral code. I've not changed. He said, I'm not talking about grace through faith and salvation. I'm talking about living right. And he said, if I quit living right and start living like the devil again, then I've become a transgressor again. Well, then what does a transgressor need to do to get justified? It's like Jesus said, repent and do your first works. In other words, the same way you got saved before is the way you get saved if you back up and lose it. Why is that? Because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. Brother, if you got Jesus at an altar of prayer and you repented and you, hallelujah, met him at Calvary's cross and you climbed up on that cross and you were crucified with Christ and you rose a resurrected a person to live in righteousness and holiness, then thanks be to God, if you got it that way, that's the way you get it that way. And there is no other way. So my word to a backslider is, same way you got it is the way you keep it. Same way you got it is the same way you keep it. I write these things unto you, brethren, that you sin not. You don't have to. It's a choice. I write these things unto you that you sin not, but. I love it when grace butts in, don't you? But if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same way you got it is the same way you get it. But if I pick up something that the Lord delivered me from, I make myself a transgressor and I need to go back and do my first works. Hallelujah. I build up again those things that I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law. Anybody in this house died to the law? For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live under God. I died out to the law and the ceremony. I died out to all the expectation of feast days and holy days. You know, I've told you this before. When we were in Israel, we've been several times. And on Shabbat, which is Saturday... If you have four or five elevators in the hotel where you're staying, only one of them will be running. And it won't run as fast as it normally does. If you're going up or going down, you better allow a lot of time, hadn't you done? 
You know why? Because on Shabbat, nobody works. You can't work. And the Judaizers are the one who enforce the law. They go around and make sure that restaurants don't serve anything but kosher. In fact, there is a line up around the city, Joel, and that I asked a guide, well, I said, what is that wire up there? He said, that's the Shabbat wire. And I said, well, what is it doing stretched up here like a telephone line? He said, well, you can walk on Shabbat, but you can't walk past that line. If you walk past that line, it's work. And you get in trouble. That's the kind of... Now, wouldn't you love to live in a, a place where to have religion and to have Jesus in your life, you had to obey rules like that? No wonder Paul said, I, got, I, got, I died out to the law. Hallelujah, the Lord helped me to die out to the law that I might live unto God. Woo! I'm saved from the awful wrath of the law. I'm delivered from the oppression of the rules of the law. But thanks be to God, I live in freedom under God. I live in freedom in my heart. I live in freedom in my relationships. I live in freedom in my home and in my family because he whom the Son hath made free is free indeed. Wow. For I through the be dead to the law that I might live to God. And then he gives one of the great verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Jesus died for no reason. Mm. Hallelujah. Why is Paul so stern about salvation by grace through faith? Because in order to be the apostle that God wanted him to be, and to be the vessel that God wanted him to be, he had to have this kind of backbone. Now, I want to tell you, when he got to Jerusalem and he sat with the council, Peter, the one who has always got something to say about everything, Peter, who never holds his lip for nothing, Peter, who always had an opinion. Peter, who always blurted right out. Sat there with his mouth shut. Is this on? You mean vociferous? Peter had nothing to say? No, because all of his buddies 
was sitting around. And he didn't think everybody knew what he'd been doing. He'd been going up to Antioch where people were first called Christians. And he would go up to Antioch and he would have revival, grace through faith, salvation by grace, salvation through Jesus. And when he got back down to Jerusalem and got in the council and they started talking about these Gentile believers have got to be taught a lesson. They've got to learn that the law is what they've got to keep. They've got to understand that there are rules that have to be obeyed. And for one time, Peter kept his mouth shut. And Sam, you know what Paul did? The Bible said, and Paul rebuked him to his face. Sometimes standing up means you got to look your friend in the face and say, you ought to be talking. You ought to be saying something for God. You ought to be making a point here because you've been up there fellowshipping with those folks and calling them brother and sister, and now you come down here and keep your mouth shut. And he said that's hypocritical. He said it's wrong to be hypocritical. And he said, I'm going to tell you this. We have no authority to put any more on those people than what God's Word says. And we have no authority to make demands of them that are unreasonable. And you know what the Holy Ghost did? Changed that whole situation around and said, well, let's, let's just see then if, if we remove all these things that we've put on them. Just tell them don't eat things sacrifice the idols said we'll we'll make it fine if if we can just get that issue out of the way those those idolatrous people that that worship and paul said listen boys when god's involved there's nothing that's unclean when god is involved hallelujah god sanctifies he said whatever set before you said eat it Praise God, he said, because the Lord sanctifies it. There's you a great word you hadn't heard in a long time. Sanctified. I heard a fellow in a business meeting one time say, I'm going to lay down my sanctification and whoop you. Well, sanctification is not something you pick up and lay down. Sanctification is something that you are. What Paul was saying is when Jesus died at Calvary's cross, death died too. Because Jesus became Lord over death and hell and the grave. And all of the consequences. Listen to what he, what he says. This is a freedom to die for. Before any battle is won on the field, a battle must be won in the minds and hearts of people. When Patrick Henry blurted out that word, give me liberty or give me death, it wasn't something that just come upon him of a sudden. Brother, it's something he pondered a lot and already made up his mind. Sounds a whole lot like Hebrew children, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like 
Daniel in a lens and we've purposed in our heart. Our God is able. Well, such statements as that ought to encourage us to believe that if you're on the right path and you're standing for God and you're believing God's Word, praise God, there's freedom in knowing you're doing right. You see, what Paul was saying is when Jesus died on the cross, he said, I am crucified with Christ. I'm crucified. What he's saying is, his death has made me free. What he did on Calvary's cross has made me free. My salvation is because Jesus went to Calvary's cross. I will glory in the cross, in the cross, lest my suffering should all be in vain. I will weep no more for the cross that he bore. I will glory in the cross. Brother, if you were going to glorify in anything, you ought to glorify in the cross of the Lord Jesus. That what he did at Calvary's cross meant life for you. Calvary is the place where the Lord Jesus died but it's the place where salvation was born. And it's the place, it's the battlefield where victory was won over death and hell and sin once and for all. I am crucified with Christ. I've trusted what Jesus did at Calvary as payment in full for my sin debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. But he brought salvation to me, and he brought freedom to me. I have been crucified with Christ. I am walking in freedom. I am walking in liberty because Jesus created something in me that's worth dying for, and it's freedom. You know, it's easy to sometimes to just float along. Did you know this? Any old dead fish can float downstream. Buddy, it doesn't take much energy for a fish to swim upstream if he's alive. But if he's dead, any old fish, brim, carp, catfish, they all float the same. Easy to float downstream when you're a dead fish. But, buddy, if you'll look at that salmon in the Pacific Northwest that swims up waterfalls. Because inside him there's something that says you've got to keep going. You can't quit. You can't let a waterfall stop you. You can't let a stream. You can't let rapids. You can't let anything stop you. You gotta keep going. You gotta, you gotta keep struggling. You gotta keep kicking here because you gotta get back to that place where you were born so you can spawn the next generation. Come on, somebody. I wish somebody in the church of God would get Salmon sense and realize that if we're gonna produce people that are gonna take our place in years to come, 
Brother, we've got to be determined to get to the place where we can lay some eggs. That salmon just keeps on pressing. You know, Winston Churchill was a man just like that. He said this when the Germans were bombing the place to smithereens. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. That kind of an attitude is more critical than anything else. It's more critical than Ronald Reagan's face-off with an evil empire and a West who said, we need to just compromise with them. We, we can live with communism. We just need to get along. Ronald Reagan looked at that wall and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Hmm. You see those gripping words that Paul said, you're not going to make it to heaven by doing these duties and doing these ritual things. You're going to get to heaven by Jesus like everybody else gets to heaven. You see, Paul's words were a song of an unshackled soul and the sacred flame of a man who was on fire. This is what the great Australian scholar Leon Morris called Paul's charter of freedom. Today I want to call it to the true believers and tell us we've got a declaration of independence. And it's right up there on that wall. We're not saved by anything else but by the precious blood of Jesus. Paul said his death saves me. But he said now the life I live. The life that I now live in the flesh. I live it by one source of energy. There's one thing that gives me strength. There's one thing that challenges me to go on. There's one thing that keeps me going. The life I now live, I live it by the faith of the Son of God. Who left me and gave himself for me. My life that I'm living out in the flesh right now, I owe my life to the Lord Jesus. Everything I do and everything I accomplish for God, it's because Jesus found me and saved me. And I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. Let me close now with this. He said, lest I would nullify the grace that has been wrought in me. He said, I've got to live my life by faith because I don't want to be a subtraction. I'm going to live my life by faith in the Lord Jesus because I don't want to nullify anything that was done for me at Calvary. I call that same statement this, I'm not going back. I'm not going to nullify it. I'm not going back. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. Satan, you can cocked any weapon you want to. I'm not going back. Life, you can bring me any kind of difficulty you want to bring me. I'm not going back. 
sore hordes of hell, you can't come against me. I'm not going back. No matter what people say about me, I'm not going back. No matter what evil come my way or evil befall me, I'm not going back. Main reason is there's nothing to go back to. Nothing to go back to. Carl Barth, probably you've never heard him. In seminary, he, his name is like deity almost. Carl Barth. He was, wrote over 10,000 essays on theology. He's called the, the theological Aristotle. He came over to America on a speaking tour. And he was at Princeton Divinity School, Princeton, New Jersey. And after he'd given an exegetical, theological delivery, he was fielding some questions from New York Times. And one of them asked him a question, said, Dr. Barth, what is the one theological truth that has weighed more heavily upon you than anything else, you've written over 10,000 treatises and essays, books by various volumes, quoted by the greatest minds in the world. What is the one thing that has affected you most? He said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. There was a day when quitting was on their mind, Don. There was a day when the crowd went away. And you know what the Bible said? It said, the crowd left him and went away because of the hard sayings that he spoke. What was he telling them? Words like, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Words like, how many times shall I forgive somebody? Seven times 70. And the Bible said, when the crowd heard those hard sayings, they turned and went away. And Charles, Jesus turned to the disciples. And he said, all right, guys, here's your chance. The crowd has left. I'm not changing my message. Now's the time if you want to quit. Now's the time. You want to go back? Go on back. Go back to your nets where you were fishing when I found you. Bethsaida. Go back to Capernaum, your hometown. Go back to your business. James, John, go hunt your dad up again and start your business back up. And they looked at the Lord Jesus and Peter got it right this time. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where would we go? Where would we go? Where would we go? Stand with me, please.
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. America needs some pulpits that will preach this word. Unadulterated, unashamed, unabashed. Just stand and rear back and preach the Word of God. Not your opinion, but the Word of God. The Word of God. Why? Because it's sharp and it's powerful. It's quick. It's living. It will do when nothing else will work. It will never return void, but it will accomplish the purpose whereunto it's sent. Just preach the Word. Sitting in a cold, damp dungeon when Paul was awaiting to go out to Nero's chop block and have his head severed from his shoulders. He wrote to his young son in the spirit, Timothy, and said, I charge you therefore before God, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in kingdom, preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. But watch thou therefore in all things. And remember that by the space of three years and six months, I cease not to warn you day and night with tears. Wow. Preach the Word. Sunday school teacher, teach the Word. Children's pastor, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. It's more important than anything else we do. Oh, I thought, Pastor, that probably baptizing people would be the most important. Paul sent me. God did not send me to baptize. He sent me to preach. Sent me to preach. And that's not to belittle baptism. Yes, don't go out of here and say, Pastor, don't believe me. I believe in baptism. I'm just saying the most important thing we do is preach. Because if you don't preach, you won't have anybody to baptize. Well, does that make sense or not? Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray, sing with me, for purple mountains' majesty, above thy fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee. And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her. Through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies to the ocean, white with foam, God bless America, my home sweet home. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house this morning. 
Thank you for the grace of God, the marvelous life that we now live in Jesus. Thank you for these truths, O oh Lord, that on this Independence Day, what was written and done and proclaimed 246 years ago, we celebrate today. But more than a national independence, Lord, we celebrate our spiritual independence. And we thank you for the freedom and the liberty that we have to worship and praise and serve. We're the sheep of your pastor. We're the people of your hand. And we love you, Lord, and we'll serve you, and we're not going back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You have a great 4th of July, and be real careful. We love you. Thank God for you.